I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Monday, March 7th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in about seven minutes. I'm going to start saying about seven minutes, because sometimes it goes over, Brett. I think it actually usually goes over now, but I like that we just stick to the seven-minute number. <laughs> it's like false advertising, I think. It definitely is, it goes over seven minutes quite a bit, but let's stick to seven minutes. Brett, how's, how was your weekend? It was pretty good, and I'll give the Peak Pals a bit of a behind the scenes. Usually, Jay and I have to brief before we actually record this about what we talk about in the intro. And when we run out of ideas, we usually just default to what are you watching? And so that's what we've got to taste. So, Jay, what are you watching? Well, I just finished Sunderland Till I Die, which is about an English soccer team in Sunderland, which is in the northeast of England. And I think they're kind of known as the Sad Sacks, but with the best fans. And so it follows their trajectory downward, frankly, from the Premier League to the Champions League to League One, which is sort of the three tiers of of English soccer, and them trying to crawl back into it. It's only two seasons long. I sort of breezed through it. But it is a fascinating look at a soccer club, certainly, but also the role English football plays in people's lives in Sunderland. Well, you kind of just spoiled the show. Uh, It's talking about the entire progression of the team. And there's like many points in which they try to make you believe like they're going to to ascend to the next level. But I do find, now that you've spoiled it, I'll say that I find the whole thing pretty sad. Like, it's just like this like team that people care so much about. The management is consistently terrible. Like, you can just tell that these people are uniquely bad at managing soccer teams. And especially at the end, when there's this like clearly posh, London financier guy that takes it over and he starts doing the most cringe stuff for this like working class blue collar team and I just hated it. I hated it but it was fun to watch. I agree, Jay. I, I, yes, and one more note on it. I mean, it is interesting to think about if we apply sort of that model of English soccer to say Major League Baseball. Imagine the bottom three teams get relegated to Triple A from Major League Baseball and like all of a sudden they have to play in Buffalo. Like imagine the, you know, imagine the, the and then you could move up from Buffalo to the big league. Like it really changes the dynamic of how sort of sports run. And, and that I think was a very compelling part of the, the show. I think we're unique though. Like most leagues operate that way. Like this American model of what a sports league looks like where you have these like set 30 teams and there's never any movement on them or unless they like move them to a different location or expand it. That's like a very unique thing. Most places have the relegation. Anyways, it's worth a watch. It's a it's a good show. Jay just spoiled the whole thing for you. So don't get your like, well, I'll tell you what really spoiled the suspense. I actually checked the table right yeah. now of where Sunderland was. They're terrible. And that will ruin the show too because, well, you'll see where they are if you check where We're just, they are. Te- it's terrible. And they have this like, the worst part about it, just before we move on, the worst part about it is they've invested so much in this team because when they're at the when they're at the Premier League, you know, you're a, you're a billion dollar team at that point. And so they have this massive stadium and the state of the art facility. And then you're just seeing them decline further and further down. It's awful. I do love the name of the stadium, Stadium of Light. Yeah. And good. that just really captures how important this is to the city uh, yeah. and the community. And then their academy is the Academy of Light. In any event, Brett, aside from English soccer, what do we have for Peak Pals today? Well, for our first story, oil shortage. For our second story, buy American. And for our third story, work from hotel. For our first story, according to Canada's Environment Minister, Stephen Guibault, there's not much Canada can do to bring down soaring energy prices in the short term because our export capacity is maxed out. So, Brett, why does it matter that Canada can't expand its oil capacity? Well, surprise, surprise, it's about Russia. So Russia is the third largest exporter of crude oil, but the response of the global community to their invasion of Ukraine has constricted that flow. Now, some companies have stopped buying Russian oil out of fear that they will run afoul of sanctions, and the world's three largest shipping companies 
have suspended service to and from Russia, making it more difficult than ever to move that oil. And if you recall those days, uh, those early days in Econ 101, which is a class I did not take, but I can imagine this is a core premise of it. When supply falls and demand holds steady, prices rise. I made up for it because I took it twice. I don't know what that means about me, but this is where Canada comes in. Canada is the world's fourth largest exporter of crude oil, but our lack of energy infrastructure limits producers' ability to cost-effectively increase exports. Canada has one pipeline running to an ocean, but it's already running at full capacity. While it's currently being expanded, that won't really be compete until 2023 at the earliest. The Energy East pipeline would have included an Atlantic Coast terminal in New Brunswick, but that project was abandoned in 2017, if you recall. And Canada also imports around 40% of the oil processed in Canadian refineries, partially because if a refinery doesn't have easy access to a pipeline, it's more cost-effective to import crude oil from places like the U.S., but also a bunch of other reasons, meaning prices here are connected to what happened in the global markets. We're not energy self-sufficient, which, Jay, brings us to why this all matters. Despite our position as one of the world's largest oil producers, Brett, Canada is not energy independent and prices for consumers here still depend on what happens in global markets. For our second story, the Biden administration has finalized a new Buy American rule, an initiative aimed at boosting American manufacturing, and it's a development that could hurt Canadian businesses. This is all per CNN. Jay, you're American. Can you get us caught up on Biden's latest Buy America plans? Sure. I'll take the hit for being American. Let's get the folks caught up. This all started with the president's Made in America executive order to require all goods purchased with taxpayer money to be 75% U.S. made, up from the current 55% requirement by 2029. Canadian manufacturers worry that Buy American rules will hurt their bottom line by shutting them out of U.S. government contracts and procurements. And while this executive order has less potential to hurt Canada's economy than other Buy American proposals, particularly one around electric vehicle tax credits, which is working its way through Congress right now, it could still take a bite out of Canadian manufacturers. Now, in terms of why it's happening, well, the U.S. economy added 678,000 jobs during February, which exceeded expectations, and the unemployment rate ticked down to 3.8% as well, a new pandemic low. So it sounds like everything's going fine, right, Brett? Well, not really, Jay. The (laughs) (laughs) White House is grappling with high inflation, soaring consumer prices, and a shortage of goods, which are contributing to the country's collective economic anxiety and are impacting Biden's approval ratings. It's unclear who or what this will impact, since the rule doesn't include how claims on content and products will be verified. But we're going to speculate, Brett. You know why? Because U.S. is our top trading partner by far. In fact, individual states make up most of our top 20 of our trading partners. And it's the weekend when we're recording, so we might as well speculate. So Let's Brett, speculate. It's Let's your turn to speculate. What's yeah. next for Biden's Buy America plan? So Biden pointed to semiconductors as an impacted industry, which comes on the heels of Canada's announcement to invest $240 million into its industry to bolster the manufacturing and research of chips, which still makes sense amid a global chip shortage. So it may be worth keeping an eye out for our major exports, which in 2019 were, and this is in order, vehicles, machinery, electrical machinery, mineral fuels, and plastics. What a mouthful. But if you look at those industries, keep an eye on them for how Biden's Buy America plan impacts them. For our last story, as remote work shifts to hybrid models, a new commuter has emerged, Brett, the type that works from hotels. And their emergence is pushing key players in the travel industry to rethink their business model. Brett, I'm very content from working from home, but I'm sure there are road warriors out there who can't wait to start collecting their aeroplane points again. How's their behavior changing? 
Yeah, this is a pretty interesting trend in business travel. So travel companies like Montreal founded Saunder, which now San Francisco based, they moved, but anyways, uh, are responding to the travel demands of super commuters, people who have moved to the suburbs since the start of the pandemic, but hunker up in city hotels for when they have to make an office appearance. The now San Francisco based travel technology and hospitality firm manages high end short term rentals across 10 countries and went public back in January. Now, according to the logic, the wads of cash from backers allowed Saunder to weather COVID-19 while competitors languished, including Airbnb. For the rest of the hard-hit travel industry, the potential for a new kind of customer has hotels adjusting their offerings to sweeten the deal, with specially designed packages including amenities like parking, conference rooms, and low, low, low midweek rates. The Citizen M hotel chain, which has properties in cities like New York, Boston, San Francisco, and London, recently started a monthly subscription deal for regulars. Daytime hotel booking sites like Dayuse offer rates across Canada up to 75% lower than an overnight fee, but a day rate at the Shangri-La bread, I know this is going to be important to you, is still 250 bucks. I've always wanted to stay there. I walked past it like a million times. I don't know why I would ever do I live here. I'm not sure why I ever would, but anyways. And some hotels, like the Annex Hotel in Toronto, they've rolled back their promotions for midweek commuters. They used to let you take a room and use it for a day to work but they still maintain the loyalty of the guests who just come there to stay. So, Jay, what's the future of work from hotels? Well, regular weekday stays by commuters offer one path to recouping the massive losses that the hotels experienced during the pandemic. Ottawa Boutique Hotel Restays told the New York Times that they're seeing patterns of single or two-day stays with business travels comprising 80% of midweek guests. And for those meetings that can't be held over Zoom, a space that gives you access to a slick lobby bar or sunny rooftop pool once you close your laptops, well, it's hard to it's hard to pass up that offer, Brett. Pete Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, just to harken back to something you said a while ago, I think it was on Groundhog Day, that yeah. March is really going to be the transition. Well, the weekend in Toronto certainly turned into a transition into spring. So maybe you're right. People doubted me. I got a lot of negative feedback for that, but I think it's, it's coming to fruition. Most of the negative feedback was from me. But have a yeah. good week, Brett. You too.